0: The human spirit is unconquerable. We are individuals and we are sovereign, born with unlimited potential, gifted from our creator. Our mission is to break free from the systems that bind us.
1: I volunteer as tribute.
0: We strive for peace and prosperity and overcome all challenges, roadblocks, and obstacles. We are empowered because we think for ourselves and we act for ourselves. We are self-reliant and independent, but guided by the wisdom of those who share our values.
1: What possible difference can I make?
0: There is no government, no ruler, nor ideas that are able to stop us. We are driven to succeed because we seek political freedom, financial freedom, and spiritual freedom. It's all for nothing if you don't have freedom. This is Mike Corbell, and you are listening to the Invictus Mind. Well, hello again, good people. How's everyone doing? You have reached the Invictus Mind podcast, and this is, as always, your host, Mike Corbell. I'm going to keep it simple today. I had a very busy week last week, and it seems that next week will be much of the same. Not to say that there's anything wrong with being busy, but just as long as we understand that being busy doesn't mean that we confuse activity with results. You see, we all have lots of activities we can be doing. If you're like me, Then you have a family, you have friends, perhaps a full-time job, a side hustle or two, and a numerous number of other hobbies that can keep your time occupied. But there is a difference between doing the things that just take up time and doing the things that actually move the needle. You see, it's the productive work that inches you closer towards that goal in your life that gives you the results you want to achieve. There's always a time for work and always a time for play, but to truly be free is to be able to choose when those times best fit into your schedule. So with that being said, if you are a returning listener, once again, I want to thank you. And if you are a new guest, then the next thing I'm going to say might be confusing. On the last show, I had a discussion with my friend Gary, and we introduced a concept called the Consumer Rebellion. This is a project that he and I are working on, and if you're the kind of person that understands the inevitability of changing technology and are somewhat or very skeptical of the current financial climate we are living in, you need to first go back and listen to episode number 72, but more importantly and immediately afterwards, be sure to sign up for the next webinar that Gary is hosting. Come join the consumer rebellion and learn about the platform revolution. So look, last year in 2020, we saw one of the largest transfers of wealth in a country's history as we witnessed the biggest technology companies whose owners each have a net worth in billions of dollars receive over $20 trillion in revenue in just one year alone. And I'm not here to argue the merits or the economics of that today. But wouldn't it be nice if there was a company that could take that kind of profit and not just hand it over to a couple of very powerful people, but spread it out over a network of producers and consumers that incentivize its people to make a couple of changes in the way they pay for everyday services and, in addition, provide perks like cash back or earnings in the form of cryptos, including Bitcoin. But I digress. Once again, just check out episode number 72 or go to the subscribe page at subscribepage.com forward slash consumer rebellion and get the details about the next webinar. All right. Like I said at the beginning, I was going to keep it simple today. I don't have a new guest, but I have decided to share an episode of me being interviewed on one of my buddies' podcasts. I had this gentleman on my show last year. I believe it was episode 39. Anyway, he returned a favor to me as I recently appeared on The Bad Roman, a Christian anarchist podcast. There, my friend Craig Hargis did an excellent job in getting into an article I wrote for his blog at the beginning of the year. We talk about how we both feel there is a thin line, if any at all, separating the church and the state and what good people of faith could do to keep them separated. So without any further ado, here's my conversation on the Bad Roman Podcast.
1: Michael, how are you doing today? Doing great, Craig. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Just hanging in there. Just another day, one day at a time, I guess. But before we get started, why don't you give us a little background of yourself?
0: Well, I am actually an entrepreneur and a podcaster. I spent about 15 years of my life as a financial advisor and uh, what that means is I sit down with clients and I figure out how to get them out of debt, how to uh, invest in the future, things like retirement planning, uh, emergency fund savings. And uh, I kind of gotten out of that as a full-time job. I still have a handful of clients, and I've been focusing more on just building a business via online and, and doing some podcasting.
1: How's that working? You're staying pretty busy.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I'm getting some good guests in a podcast, and uh, I, I've spent a lot of time learning about uh, internet marketing and affiliate marketing over the last year as everyone shut in because of COVID-19. I, I said, well, I'm not going to just sit around and complain. I'm going to actually develop my skill set and, and learn more about uh, this technology that I've kind of wasted most of my life not learning about. <laughs> so now I think I'm caught up <laughs> up to speed for the most
1: part. So at the time of this recording, it's... Uh towards the end of March, but are, are you seeing like this COVID stuff? Are you starting to notice it's kind of go away in your area? Are people still acting as, acting like they have been over the past year? Or is it kind of starting to fade away a little bit?
0: Well, I think that the, the compliance to the mask mandates uh, is just as bad as it's ever been. I'm probably one of only 2 or 3% of people who do not wear masks in my neighborhood. There's like a 97% compliance factor here. But I don't really know how many people are are getting sick or whatnot, because I don't really pay attention to that anymore. I just live my life. I I told my wife to stop worrying about uh, COVID and just live life, because I think that's the the main cure to everything.
1: Right. I agree. I was just curious, because since I've moved, I've moved a little further away from Memphis, and Memphis is still pretty, you know, being Memphis. But it's a little different out here where I'm at now in Oakland. But there's still some, you know, still running around. I was in the post office the other day, and I got thrown out because I wouldn't wear a mask. And I'd already cleared it with the postmaster that I could come in and grab my mail, and wouldn't be a problem. But the guy in there—I like to call him a little tiny tyrant—was being pretty uh, rude about it. And he already he already knew the situation, so I finally just had to get back on the phone with the postmaster. And now they just bring the mail out to me because we're they're just now getting mailboxes set out of here set up out here at, the, at our neighborhood. So that's been a, a nightmare and a pain to deal with.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, there's a lot of restaurants that let you sit down inside, but they still make you wear a mask at the door. And I just don't even go to those restaurants because that just that illogical uh, action of walking through the door with a mask on and sitting down, it doesn't make any sense. And it irritates me. So there's a handful of restaurants that I go to that uh, they don't require anything. They just, you know, come and go. But people still choose to wear the mask. And I I never have a problem with them choosing that. But uh, as long as people don't harass me, I, you know, I'm good with it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious. I've been seeing that, too, with some restaurants. I think it was, I've been kind of following Texas since they ended the mask mandates down there, and especially Dallas area. They're, they're really a lot of the restaurants are still making people wear masks. I'm really kind of curious if this would be kind of a, a, a good case study for how the free market might actually work. Or people are people going to choose to go to certain restaurants, depending on masks and this and that, and how those those businesses will survive with that as, as well? It's going to be interesting to watch.
0: Well, my wife is a, uh, a waitress at a restaurant. And uh, the, one of the reasons why a lot of the restaurants are, are scared about this is because the health inspector will come every once in a while, make an appearance. And uh, I guess they could get fined if they see somebody who's not uh, mask compliant at the entrance of the place. Luckily, my wife's boss, she just, the owner of that restaurant, doesn't care about that. But a lot of these people are, are just um, a little concerned about what the government can do. Although the sheriffs are not enforcing them in our county.
1: See, that's what I was going to ask. So y'all still have the mandates up there, but they're not being enforced. And I mean, when you can't enforce these stupid mandates, how are they going to get away with them anyway? It doesn't make any sense. They're just relying on the public still, I think.
0: We've been in phase four for like six months, which I don't even know what that means. But (laughs) phase five uh, is supposed to be you get your freedoms back.
1: Well, thank you. Thank you very much for phase five. Phase five may never come. It's probably, I hate the term, the new normal. I'm so sick of hearing that. I heard that so much when this started that I just, anytime I hear that, you know, it really grinds my gears. I'm like, no, it might be your new normal, but it's not mine. I'm not going to walk around with this diaper on my face because you're afraid of getting sick. It doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> but that's being said, I think we got, we released some frustration on each other a little bit. So in your article, and I'm not going to pretend To know how to pronounce the subject of your article, tell me what that word, what what is that word? How do you say that first?
0: Well, it's a silly word that was made up in the 19th century. It says anti-disestablishmentarianism.
1: Say that one more time.
0: (laughs) Anti-disestablishmentarianism. Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay. All right. I don't know if it's something you can say three times. I'm going to hold you to two though, right there. So tell me a little bit about what that means.
0: Well, I wrote the article because obviously I, I like your podcast, Craig, and I've, I've read some of the other articles. I've, I've interviewed uh, Abby Kleckner on your show, and I just remember that word. My dad told me that word a long time ago it is one of the longest words in the English language. And so I think what got me involved in wanting to write about that word was I had a conversation with my daughter just about words in general. And she's like, "What's one of the longest words that you know about?" And so I said, "I'll say it a third time for you, Craig: anti-disestablishmentarianism." <laughs> and so, as I was thinking about that word, I was breaking it down, and I wanted to know what it actually meant. And so, you know, I did the research on it, and it it actually, well, we'll get into it, but it, it means against those who are against the status quo. So, it's kind of a contrarian type of word against people with a liberty mindset.
1: So, it's against, the, against folks like us is what you're saying. Correct. So, is it disestablishmentarianism, not the anti-ones? They were doing this trying to separate the church from the state. Am I getting that correct?
0: Yes, correct. So, again, it's just a silly word that I used to write an article about. But basically, you have to break the part to word into different roots. So, we can start with the word establishment, right? You and I understand what an establishment is, right? We call it the, you know, we we'll call it the um, cathedral, is coined by Michael Malice, right? Or we can call it the uh, the deep state or w- the the government. That's what the establishment is, right? And so, when you actually have a, a, an establishment, then you have people who are going to naturally be against the establishment. Now, in my article, I talk about the the root uh, of the word Aryan, A-R-I-A-N, and not to be confused with uh, those who are white supremacists, Aryans. Aryan is just a root word in English that means uh, a group of people that follow a similar ideology. So, establishmentarians would be those who are in favor of government, those who are in favor of the establishment. Now, the ism is actually, uh, that's a philosophy. So, you have an establishment, you have establishmentarian, who is an ide- whose ideology is in, in favor of the government, and you have a group of them. Okay? So, that's uh, establishmentarianism. Now, disestablishment would mean to break it apart. So, if I believe that I want to get rid of the establishment or I want to break apart from the establishment, I would be a disestablishment arian and my philosophy or my ideology would be disestablishmentarianism. Now, put four letters on top of that, anti-disestablishmentarianism is those who are against the people who are against the establishment,
1: if you follow me. Yeah, I think, I, I think I'm with you.
0: It's not a common word that people use, but I just thought it was clever, and it was in the English language, so... Um, you know, nobody uses that anymore. I just thought it was a clever, clever
1: word. I had never heard it. We we, we certainly don't use it down here in the South. I promise you that <laughs> it's, it's not something I've ever heard before in my life, and I still don't think I could pronounce it. It's
0: not really used in America at all. It's it's more of a it's more of a word that they you know, like I said, it was coined in the 19th century in England, and uh, it was used in their publications at the time. But it's still, it's still there in the English language. And uh, if you actually go to YouTube, it's known as one of the, lo- the longest. One of the longest words in the English language that is not a health, uh, like a disease or a health condition.
1: So, how did this start? So, in, in your article, you said you said the history of this ideology begins with a story of a great schism between, or in Christianity. And you were talking about Henry the Eighth in uh, the year 1533. Tell us a little bit about that and how that is. This is where this word came from. This is how it started.
0: The word actually came about in the 19th century, but uh, the the establishment, uh, going back to King Henry VIII, you might remember in history, King Henry VIII had several wives who were trying to uh, conceive a son to pass on the kingdom of England. And Henry VIII, uh, Catherine of Aragon was his original wife. He fell in love with a second woman named Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn was his true love. Catherine of Aragon was his first wife that he wanted to divorce from, and in that time in history, you had to actually seek annulment through the Pope. So you had to go back in history and, and look at how all these kingdoms and and their the the way that they actually made truces with each other. The kings and queens would marry each other from different countries, so the the Roman Emperor might have a son or daughter who might marry uh, somebody in England, for example. And so there was all kinds of different uh, ways that they set up the kingdoms. The main theology at that point in time was Roman Catholic. And so the Pope had the ultimate say as to who would be married and who could not be married. The Pope would not grant his uh, divorce because he was afraid of the other king, uh, of the Roman emperor, Charles V. So this whole thing with Henry the Eighth, he wanted to actually have a son, his first wife would not let him have a son. He fell in love with another woman named Anne Boleyn, and uh, she could not uh, conceive a son either. So as legend has it, King Henry VIII had like seven or eight wives, and he would keep killing these wives because they wouldn't conceive a son, and they didn't know anything about uh, you know genetics or anything like that and how uh, uh, the chromosomes worked. So they didn't know why he couldn't have a son, so he just blamed the women and either divorced them or killed them. So at that point in time, King Henry VIII, he kind of had a, this, uh, uh, this mindset that uh, he was going to ignore the edicts from the emperor and, and basically say, I'm going to do what I want to do because I'm the king of England, and the heck with this pope over there in, uh, in Rome, I'm going to come up with my own church, I'm going to create an establishment that is going to have a, de- a declaration of, uh, we're going to be a church, we're going to call it the Church of England. So, the Church of England was established uh, in, eight, in 1534, which basically meant that uh, everything that the king said was what the religion was. So, the divine right of kings came from that thought process. The Church of England was the main uh, theocratic entity then.
1: Well, next time I have a girlfriend that is upset with me about anything, I'm going to be like, "You, at least I'm not king Henry the eighth. You could have been like you have had a lot worse than me. <laughs> Next time I hear any complaints from a woman I'm going to be like let me tell you about King Henry VIII. That guy was pretty bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, finishing up with that, it was it was not until the mid 19th century that people started to question this order. Some people wanted to disestablish the Church of England as it was constituted and engage in their own form of faith and religion, but it was unclear if seeking freedom of religion would be possible under the current establishment. You want to go into that a little
0: bit? Yeah, well, so 1534, you know, that's right when the uh, the Enlightenment period of human history started happening. You no, know, it wasn't that far before then. We heard of people like Martin Luther, right, and in his 98, 96 theses, right, that he put on, on the chapel in Rome. So you had movements like Lutheranism come into play and, and some of the other major religions. And so the Anglican faith that was the Church of England, we had people who were like thinking, well, I don't think they really follow the scripture the way it should be. They they started reading about Martin Luther and some of these other religions. There was no freedom of religion in England at that point in time. If you were going to practice faith, you had to practice in the Church of England. You had to be part of the Anglican faith. You couldn't become Catholic, for example. You couldn't become Lutheran. You couldn't become any number of the Protestant sects that were out there. Uh, They were forbidden in the state. And so, when uh, when these people wanted to create other churches, when they when they were enlightened and they had other ideas of faith, they decided that they were going to try to break away from the established rule that was in England from the Church of England.
1: Are you talking about Chalmers? I'm trying. I'm reading ahead in your article a little bit.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, Chalmers was one of the top uh, people. He was a Scottish minister. Uh, you know, he was. Uh, he argued in favor of non-intrusion ideology. He wanted to have a free church to stay away from the government. You know, that when the government and the church are mingled together, then most of their laws are going to be, they're going to be in conjunction. And we, and we know here in America that we don't want any kind of religion to be mixed with uh, with government edicts because then it's just it's a bad
1: situation. No, sure. Yeah. And you see the entanglement, it seems to be getting worse and worse. Now, you said, and from this thinking comes the long-held conservative belief that the traditions upheld by the 18th and 19th century people of Great Britain and the United States were largely biblically based and that the laws corresponded to these faith traditions. Do you believe that? Do you believe that the the laws of America coincide with, say, the, the teachings of Christ?
0: Do I believe the laws of America coincide with the teachings of Christ? That's kind of a loaded question. Sure it is. <laughs> That's why. Yes and yes and no. I mean, you can see good, you can see the the good and the bad. I mean, so one common mistake I think that a lot of people think about the founding fathers of the United States of America is that they were all Christians. And if you actually study history, they were not all Christians. We had all kinds of faiths the founding fathers. Thomas Jefferson, for example, was what's known as a deist. Deism basically did not uh, say that there was an actual God, did not accept that Christ was a savior. But to my understanding, deism said there is a higher power. We should probably pay attention to uh, some of the principles that the higher power teaches, but it's not exactly the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the founding fathers, you know, they wanted to create a, a a world where we're going to let people freely practice religion as they see fit, but we're going to create laws that are, you know, keep the public safe. I mean, if you look at the 10 commandments, you, I'm not, I don't have them in front of me, but you know, thou shall not kill. Seems like a good law to have, right? So there's laws against murder, right? Thou shall not steal. is in the in ten, in 10 commandments. So they created laws about stealing. Now in other 10 commandment laws, you know, thou shall have no other gods before me. is a 10 commandment, but nowhere in the law system of the United States is, is, thou shall have no other gods before me. I think that's a little different. Bef- uh, you know, when you compare it to England, right? The the king, they 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 saw themselves as almost uh, godlike figures. The divine right of kings is something that the Church of England came up. So, if you have uh, if you are a king, then you are appointed by God, and your your law system is based on whatever. It, he says, "You know, it came from God. I, I was appointed to be king by God, so therefore, whatever I say is the law and is holy because I'm, you know, I'm the highest form of government there is besides Jesus Christ Himself."
1: Well, the reason I asked you that because um, I don't know if you listened to our episode with Mike Gaddy. We've talked about secession, but I've got him coming back on, and we're going to talk about uh, the Constitution and whether it's a Christian document because a lot of the the, the right believes that it was somehow God breathed that they were following Christ when writing the constitution. It's not even true, but uh, that's why I asked you that question. Just kind of lead into that. But because you said something else interesting in the article, I think it still holds true today because I've always used to believe that you could legislate morality. That's just not true. But you said something in there and it said policies regarding things such as same sex marriage, drug usage, prostitution, and militant atheism need to be legislated or outlined by the state. Conservatives believe that without the establishment, morality would cease to exist in society. Thats they do believe that. I mean, because I, I was one of them, I believe that that we, that we could somehow legislate morality when it came to same-sex marriage or stuff like that. And I've told this embarrassing story about myself on Chris Folk's podcast and he had me and Abby on that when the Supreme Court struck down the uh, or they made same uh, legal same-sex marriage legal, I was convinced that Jesus was coming back at any minute after that, that that was it. He wasn't going to stand for this, you know, because they, that we were able to keep the, keep people moral by passing a law to keep, get married if they were the same sex. And it's, like I said, it's a very embarrassing story on, that I tell on myself all the time.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, it's one thing to have a moral standard, right? It's one thing to say, I'm going to live by gospel principles in my own life. And I would hope that other people in my community, and especially my family, might keep the same standards. Now, does that mean that I want the government coming to throw people in cages because they don't keep my standards? That's where I draw the line. right? I may not morally believe in same-sex marriage, but what I believe for my life and for my family, I don't believe that anybody has a right to say you can't live that way in another type of family arrangement. I don't want people thrown in jail for, for making decisions on their own. You know, we all have to answer to God individually anyway. You know, there's there's sins that we commit and there's sins that the sin of uh, omission and the sin of commission, right? So, except for the grace of Jesus Christ, nobody is going to be saved. And whether I engage in homosexual activity or I'm just a shoplifter, both are sins in the eyes of Lord. At least that's my understanding. But I live by a standard of, hey, don't steal other people's stuff. So, yeah, there might be a, some kind of punishment for that. But when people want to have uh, personal relationships, I don't think that that's hurting anybody. It might be, you know, quote unquote, against the the gospel principles in the Bible, but... Why should the state come in here and, and, and say you can't do that and throw them in jail?
1: Well, it's a common question I've, I get from people that just find our podcast, and it is about same sex marriage. And you know, I used to, and I heard Shane Claiborne say this. I've been, I've got him coming on as well, but I've I've listened to some of his stuff on some podcasts. On he said something because I used to have a lot of strong opinions about homosexuality, and I didn't even know a gay person. He said, that just doesn't make any sense, you know, and he, he knew somebody in college that was uh, attracted to the same sex. And he was having he was struggling with it like God had made a mistake. And he was he was contemplating suicide. And he's like, if we don't have a place in church for this guy, then what, what do we become? And but anyway, like I get this question quite a bit from people. And I've gotten to the point now where I just it's to me, it's none of my business. I don't think the state should be involved with it. period. I, they shouldn't be involved with with marriage. That's that's between two people. Same sex or not. That's, that's their business. And I've got enough stuff going on in my own life to worry about, to worry about some, what somebody else is doing behind closed doors. It's not, it's just not my business. And I take the words of Jesus very seriously when he says to love your neighbor, regardless of what they're doing. And so that's, that's how I approach these, those questions, because it doesn't, it doesn't make sense for me to worry about it. I can't, if, I mean, if I, how can I work on myself and worry about what somebody else is doing? I can't. I'm distracted by that, and I shouldn't even be. I should, I've, I've got enough going on in my, in my own personal life that I need to worry about to wor- than to worry about somebody else.
0: You're absolutely correct about that. I mean, uh, like I mentioned before, every single one of us is going to be accountable to God, and we're all sinners because we live in a fallen world. We're not supposed to judge others. It says right there in scriptures, you know, let's judge not lest you're going to be judged yourself. And so I'm not the one who – I'm not the arbiter of who gets into heaven and who doesn't. All I know is what I read in the scriptures. Now, people are going to interpret scriptures a million different ways, but as long as I believe and I continue to grow and I do believe in the repentance process, which is growing and developing and and you know, looking at scripture and and, and looking at it different ways and as long as I'm not affecting another person's individuality, then I think I'll be all right. But Again, I got to fall back to the savior to know where I'd done wrong. (laughs) So I'm not going to sit there and and demand anybody to live the way I want to live, as long as they're not hurting me, right? As long as they're not hurting other people, I'm not going to ask the law to come down on them. I'm not going to ask anybody to say, you can't do that. Because like you said, it's none of of your business, none of my business. It was um, Matt Kibbe, not to take this in a different direction, but Matt Kibbe from a libertarian thinker, he said, don't hurt me. Don't take my stuff. That's pretty much the seven uh, words that I live my life by, and, and it aligns perfectly with the gospel, right? Don't hurt me, don't take my stuff, you know. So for me to judge anybody else's personal lives doesn't make any sense because it would be outside of that uh, that standard, right there.
1: Right, right, completely agree. All right, let's get back to the article. I was going to say something. Um, let's let's pick on the left a little bit. We just picked on the right a little bit, so let's pick on the left now. All right, so says, those on the left who call themselves religious see the biblical commandment for charity to be something that must be orchestrated by the government. They often invoke the welfare clause from Article I, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution as a reason to tax and redistribute money to those they deem to be in need or underprivileged. They ridicule people who oppose state-sponsored charities and claim moral superiority to those who feel that private organizations could do a, better, a job better. Liberal establishments want to use government to force people to act in a way they feel God has called people to behave. They supersede the council that was given by church authorities and demand that power be placed in the hands of civil government. And that is so true. And that the whole the welfare clause in Article 1, Section 8, that, that drives me crazy. I mean, when I first started studying the Constitution, and I had to come. I had to, like, pinpoint the welfare clause and learn what that actually meant. Because it's not, it does not mean what the left wants it wants you to think it means. You got to go back to like the uh, the Federalist Papers to read like what uh, James Madison said about it. I and mean, when you show that to them, then they'll go into something else. They don't. They'll either try and argue, or keep arguing in in ignorance, or they'll just change the subject altogether. But do you got anything you want to add to that? Because I, I see that with the left thinks that they can force people through the state to act a certain way, just like the right thinks they can use the state to force people to act a certain way.
0: Well, you have to think about it this way. When Even if we're going to use the Constitution as an argument, and that could be a whole other discussion as to whether there's any legitimacy behind the Constitution, but if you were going to use that as a legitimate governing document, the welfare clause was written before the 16th Amendment, which established the tax system that we have right now. Uh, the 16th Amendment was, I don't remember exactly when it was passed. I think that was 1913, the 16th and the 17th were both passed. And so we're talking 120 years of U.S. history before they even were able to tax people on their income. Not to mention all the other ways that they get our money, right? You and I probably both agree that taxation is theft. And so, you know, what did they mean by welfare versus okay, I'm going to steal your money today because I have a uh, an amendment that says that you know you you owe us tax money, and we're going to pay for all these things that <laughs> they're not even accountable to what they take our money for and, and all these other diff types of welfare systems they have.
1: So then you go on to say, of course, there remain those who are fundamentally opposed to religion. They may be agnostic or atheist and fall anywhere on the political spectrum. These people seldomly stand silent when issues such as prayer in public schools or public display of religious texts arise, such as allowing the Ten Commandments to hang from municipal, municipal buildings because it offends some of them. However, this understanding of the separation of church and state is also flawed. Now, let's talk about that. I want you to talk about that a little bit because I think people don't understand, understand what the separation of church and state actually means. What, is it, what does it mean to you?
0: Well, for me, it's that the, the basic belief system that somebody has, whether they believe in Catholicism or they believe in Protestantism or they're uh, a Latter Day Saint, or they're a Hindu, or they're a Muslim—any of that kind of stuff—they're going to have this own kind of faith tenets. Most of modern Christianity and, and what they call the Judeo-Christian systems, you know, they they can root back to the basic Ten Commandments, right? And we talked a little bit before about how the Ten Commandments—half of those commandments are basically, you know, don't hurt other people, you don't steal from them, don't uh, don't kill them, things of that nature. So those laws make sense, but. When it comes to believing in God, which God are you talking about, right? I mean, you and I might sit there and agree that there's only one God, but if you talk to a Muslim, if you talk to uh, a Hindu, they would disagree as to which God we're referring to. So, for the government to come in and say, "Well, you're only allowed to worship this God," that would be a gross intrusion. On, in you know, in my opinion, like we should have the freedom to to worship as we see fit. Whatever, God, you know, some of you atheists out there might laugh at the Christians and say, you guys believe in a spaghetti monster in the sky. Okay, well, we can have a theological discussion, but I should have the right to worship the spaghetti monster, and you should have the the right to worship nothing. So, as long as, like, we're both living in this world, and we're not hurting each other, what difference does it make what we believe? I think that's the start of separation of church and state.
1: My my most basic understanding of separation of church and state, and it has evolved the longer this project has gone, but especially since I started studying the early church some, but the base, my basic understanding of it is when people want to be allowed to pray in school. Okay, let's just use that as an example. Especially the left will throw this out there. We'll no, that's separation of church and state. Well, that's not what that means to me. Separation of church and state actually means to me and correct me if I'm wrong. It means that the state cannot dictate who we worship or how we worship. That's it. It's as simple as that to me. Now, when I said it, my understanding has evolved over, you know, since we started this project is it means that the, the church, the followers of Christ, are to be completely separate from the state, period, in all aspects. Shouldn't be running for office. We should not be promoting politicians. It's It is not it's not, it, there was nothing about the life of Jesus that shows that he tried to work through the state to get his message out there. And that's, and he left that up, up to us when he went to be with the father. We should be acting the same manner as Jesus was. If you look at the early church, they did. I mean, prior to Constantine, they had nothing to do with the state. They didn't want anything to do with it. It wasn't their thing. Brexit Cavey said something brilliant to me. And it, it stays in the back of my head when I had him on. He said, he said, the state's going to do state stuff. The state is a thing. He said, but it's not my thing. He said, we may have some very strong opinions about what the state's doing. And, you know, as anarchists, we're going to have strong opinions about what the state's doing, obviously. But as Christians, it's not our thing. And when you, and I think as when Christians get so wrapped up in that garbage, they lose sight of what Jesus was trying to get across to people. Love your neighbor. Love your enemy. Help those that are in need. And going back to what we were talking about earlier, like theology debates, I stay out of them. I don't even want to talk about. It. I don't. I don't. I don't engage in them anymore because they're way over my head. And I keep it very simple. What did Jesus say? He said, "Love your neighbor. Love your enemy." And I just keep it as basic as I can with that because all that other stuff is just stuff to me, man. I don't. I just don't. I just don't understand it. I think it causes um, discontent among. Christians, when it shouldn't, it was never meant to do that. And I just, I mean, how many different denominations do we have in this country? Thousands. And like you said, people are going to interpret the Bible a thousand different ways. Well, okay, that's that. yes, that's, that's what's happening. That's why we have all these different denominations. But if we just got back to like the Jesus-centric mindset of the early church, they followed the teachings of Christ and the teachings of Christ, nothing about the teachings of Christ said Get your favorite politician elected so we can legislate morality. No, morality call, comes from following Christ, loving your neighbor, loving your enemy, not putting kids in cages at the border. That's a hot topic again, you know, every time. But, you know, nothing's changed. It's, they're still putting kids in cages. Yeah,
0: I think that once you start diving into the the challenge that we have in the the United States system of government – you're asking a huge thing to unravel everything. You know, I have this conversation with my wife all the time where I don't like political parties is they always have their own agenda. They want to tackle this issue or they want to tackle that issue. Democrats want to tackle this. Republicans want to tackle that. Even a libertarian party has certain issues that they want to go for. And one issue is connected to another issue, which is connected to another issue, which is like three or four other issues connected to it. And so, the reason why political parties are such a travesty in this country is that you can't solve any issues because you're going to have to tear the whole thing down if you want to do that. And every single four years we vote on a president, right? And and we're either looking at a 39.8% tax rate, or we're looking at a 41% tax rate. And that's what they fight about because they're not going to get rid of the tax system because if they get rid of that, then they're going to get rid of three other systems out there. So for you to be completely separated from the the state apparatus you know it's a different kind of lifestyle it's a different mindset now because of tradition and because of history and because of how entwined people are to this system you're asking a huge thing when you ask people to just separate themselves from the from the system entirely and follow the gospel so i do recommend people listen to your podcast more for that reason but it's not really an easy thing to
1: do no absolutely not i mean i still struggle with it myself i mean Man, I spent 20 years, good 20 years, in, entangled with all that garbage, and it's not, it's not something you can walk away. from. I mean, I still, I don't, I don't pay as much attention to it anymore. Like when there's presidential debates, I'd rather watch wrestling. That's more, re- it's more reality to me than, than, a, than a presidential debate. So I don't get all worked up about that stuff. I don't watch mainstream media. It doesn't you know? But I still have a sense to where I need to kind of know what's going on. Like when, when, when the Capitol was uh when people stormed the Capitol, when all that stuff was going on, I woke up, I woke up to some messages about it. I didn't really know what was going on. So I kind of scrolled through Facebook to check some stuff out. I, and I don't, I hate the news mainstream media, but I did turn it on to see what was going on. I watched it for about five minutes. I turned it off and I rolled over and went back to sleep because it didn't surprise me. Nothing about what was happening that day surprised me. It was I mean, we should expect that at this point because it's all theater and we should expect this stuff to be going on because you had a a, set, a certain group. If I understand it correctly, there was a certain group of people trying to keep their their guy in charge or their master in charge. That's all it looked like to me. And it's the same thing as going to a poll. I mean, I don't know. People died, but it's people die because people go and vote, in my opinion, too. So I, I don't see any difference. I don't see any difference in that at all. Anything you want to add to that? Because I, I want to move to something else in your article, and then I want to talk to you about Invictus Mind.
0: Well, I mean, the the basic idea of separation of church and state, I think you you hit the nail on the head. As much as people can be aware of their personal choices and the people that they're supporting uh, politically, look, I can I can tell people not to vote. I'm not a voter, and it's probably the best situation, but... One of my mentors always says, you have to play in the sandbox that we're in right now. And so we have a system where they basically indoctrinate you to vote. So if you're going to do that, then you might as well learn the most you can about that person that you're going to vote for. I I would say start at the local level because the ones in your community, your township, they're not going overseas and, and killing people, right? They're basically saying, okay, should we put a red light, uh, a stoplight in this city or should we build a park or should we do things like that? So if you keep your voting at the local level, then I don't see there's much danger in that. Now, we can get into a, a longer discussion about you know, whether they're stealing our money on the local level or not. Sure. But you know, when you start jumping to, to senators and to presidents and things of that nature, then you're getting into this convoluted situation where – they're trying to represent 330 million people and saying whose uh, idea is the best and what are Americans' interests, and that's when you start getting warfare and immigration policies and all that kind of stuff. So, for me, being an anarchist is as, as separate as I can possibly be because, you know, what I don't really, I don't think that the, anybody in the in the, the Congress, my representative, can't really hasn't. I never talked to my state representatives. I don't know who my. I mean, I know who my senators are, but they don't know who I am. And the president, it doesn't matter if it's Biden or Trump or Obama or anything, they're going to do what they got to do. But I i can't control what they're going to do. So I might as well just stay out of it. Right? I don't want to support the, the stupid things that they're going to do because other people, man, that they, they, that they do this. It's just a nightmare to me. So for me, my conscience will say, I'm going to see what's going on in my neighborhood. If there's something that needs to be done, perhaps something that needs to be voted for, you know, that's. That's neither here nor there, but I'm going to pay attention at the local level before I ever pay attention to what's going on at the federal level.
1: I'm going to take some heat for this. When I, when I say this, if a person still feels the need to vote, and I say this all the time, if you still feel the need to vote, vote for a third-party candidate. I don't care if it's Libertarian, Constitution Party, or whatever, whoever. But if you feel like you need to participate, vote for somebody like that and get away from the, the duopoly. But I don't encourage voting. That's I'm not encouraging voting by saying that. The reason I tell people that is because that's it's how, kind of how I got to where I was at, is I got away from the duopoly and started seeking out a third party. And then now I'm an anarchist. And I think when you start getting away from you realize how, uh, how voting doesn't matter anyway, then you can kind of be like, all right, then what am I doing? And like you said, you don't want to be a part of it. You don't want to be complicit in what's going on either. I think if a person voting for, especially the two, the Democrat or Republican, you're complicit. And everything that they're doing you know what they're going to do they say a lot of things on the campaign trail and they don't follow through and we know this history's proven it so why would you want to be complicit in that especially as a christian and we can talk As is an anarchist it's one thing but as a christian it makes absolutely no sense to me to participate in it whatsoever
0: right at this point the uh, the federal government is so large and uh, I mean, you can use the word "evil" all you want. Oh. Yes, it is. And
1: I don't even know if "evil" describes what they're doing now. Man, it's bit, there's <laughs> right. got to be another word for it.
0: Right, but I, I have literally no say in what country the United States is going to bomb next. I have no say in that. So why would I even want to participate in, in a system like that? That's, that's I think you and I agree in that uh, right there. So
1: well, the, the representatives in Congress they don't they don't have a spine to try and stop any of this. They pay lip service to it some, but then it's the same thing happens over and over and over. They're all cowards, in my opinion. They're all liars. They're all thieves. They're all murderers. They're all complicit in it. And I don't understand how anybody, especially as a Christian, can get on board with that stuff anymore. All right. We could go down a whole rabbit trail with that. Let's, let's, you said something about George Washington. He said, in your article, you mentioned a letter that George Washington wrote a letter to a Hebrew congregation where he said, everyone shall sit in safety under his own vine and fig tree and there should be none to make him afraid. Do you believe that to be true today?
0: Do I believe that we live in a situation where none are afraid? I don't believe that. I think at this point in time, many people are afraid. <laughs> um, but basically, that, that, what Washington was saying is like, listen, you guys are Hebrews, and you can believe in you know Judaism, and you can believe in, uh, in Yahweh, and you know, I don't even remember if George Washington was a Christian. I don't think he, I think he was also a deist, but he's like, listen, we're going to live peacefully together under the same banner called the United States. And you guys have your congregation and uh, you not have to worry about any government coming in and and saying you can't worship that way. I really think that's, that's what the conversation was.
1: Okay. And there's one last thing in your article. This kind of goes back to what we were talking about a little bit ago. It says it goes without dispute that many atrocities throughout the history of the world have been committed in the name of religion. Much suffering has been realized in the name of God by the subjects of kings, magistrates, presidents, and worldly authorities who have exploited religion to conquer and pillage. That's still happening. That is still happening today. And I don't see that it's going to stop at any point as long as there's a state. I don't see, I don't believe that we're going to see the state fall in our lifetime, but I don't believe if the state did fall, that there would be chaos either. I think people would... Kind of, we would figure it out on our own.
0: Well, if you compare what's going on in the United States of America, and you look at what happened with the Roman Empire, which was uh, well, the British Empire was in between the two. But if you look at the fall of any one of those empires, specifically the Roman Empire, you'll see the debasement of currency. You'll see the uh, the lack of morality among the people. Not that not that there was anything law wise with morality. What I'm saying, just a basic uh, individual morality of the people. And a debasement of currency, and then of course overreaching uh, government trying to expand into other countries and grow the empire. All those things are parallel from the Roman Empire and its fall to what's going on in the United States of America right now. We have basic immoral people. Again, you can point to whatever you decide is immoral, but I think generally speaking, people are have lost faith. People stop going to church in this country. People stop believing in God, and there's all kinds of different practices out there that. You know, you could say, well, that's immoral. That's immoral. And, um, I think just, and then of course the, the, the debasement and printing of money, the, the, the fall is going to be great of the United empire, you know, United States empire. And it was the same as what happened in the Roman empire. So we may not see a total downfall of any kind of government. I don't think we're going to have an anarchist society in our lifetimes. We're going to have something, but, uh, I think it's going to be uh, catastrophic when this when this empire as we know it falls. And I don't, I, I can't foreshadow what's going to happen or when it's going to happen. But we saw what happened to other empires in world history, and the United States is just the same thing. The same thing that happened to all those empires are going to happen here, is going to happen here.
1: Right, and I tell people that all the time too. The people that are putting so much faith in the United States government and getting so up in arms about it that you do understand that this is going to fall at some point. It cannot sustain itself, especially if the rate it's going. And they just kind of look at you out of the side of their eye like you're crazy. But and I'm like, you better, you just maybe you ought to think about preparing for a different different path instead of trying to put your faith in them because it's going to happen at some point. It may not happen in your lifetime, but think about what you're leaving to your children and their children and so on and so on. Because it's going to happen, and it may happen to your child. It may happen to their child or when it happens. So we need to start looking at a different direction. And I always go back to that direction being Jesus Christ, especially as Christians. Just to get back on that path and let's follow what Jesus teaches. And we will be a whole lot better off. But that was an awesome article, man. Like I said, it was uh it got some some good feedback. And if y'all haven't read it, go to the badroman.com and check it out. Michael, before I let you go, tell us about Invictus Mind. First of all, I want to ask you what made you want to do a podcast why what what crazy thought in your head thought you needed to do out there and do a podcast because when i started this i just had a lot of things to say i didn't know what a direction i wanted to go and it just kind of just kind of fell on me one night that because i was getting so fed up with the entanglement of the christian with the state and i was like this is what we're going to do this is how we're going to go about it but what what made you want to put yourself out there like you have well
0: (laughs) You know, I got to be honest, you have much more of a focused niche, as they say, in your podcast than I do. I, uh, my Mine is much more broad topic. Uh, the Invictus Mind is, uh, what I like. What I tell people is we want to talk about freedom and empowerment of the individual. But when I, when I say freedom, I mean uh, political freedom, which, you know, we can talk about separation of state and everything like that. And uh, I also want to talk about financial freedom. I have several years experience in the financial industry. Uh, helping people get out of debt and, and, and be free uh, financially. And of course, spiritual freedom is your your ability to pray as you see fit. So the word Invictus, is an ancient Greek word. It really means unconquerable. I saw that word in a movie uh, several years ago. Uh, there was a poem that was came out uh, in the late 19th century. And the author had tuberculosis. And he was just like, he wrote this poem because he saw himself as no matter what challenge comes my way. I'm gonna. I have the mindset to get over it because my oppression is only in my mind, and I think that 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 carries true to today's world too. And so when I say invictus mind, I want to help people understand that they have the power to make change within themselves. I started a podcast because I, frankly, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I, I've been doing sales calls for a number of years, and uh, I would be putting a on. Or I would just as one of my side hustles that I do is sometimes I do DoorDash or whatnot, and I'm just driving around. If I'm spending time in my car, I'm always going to be educating myself. So I figured, well, I, I like podcasts. I learn a lot, and I agree with a lot of what they're saying. Plus, anybody who knows me personally knows that I have a lot to say in all kinds of topics. So if you catch me on a good day, you know I'll debate with you for you know three hours. <laughs> but the way I, when I set up my my podcast, I. I found that I have a challenge of just ranting by myself. Like some, some podcasters can sit just talking to a microphone for an hour at a time. I really don't do that very well. So I, I always want to find somebody who's interested or who's interesting, rather, uh, that I can have a conversation with. Like you and I are talking about spiritual freedom in a way. So I, I interviewed you and we talked about the same thing. That would be, be part of my podcast. Hey, let's figure out how to get this spiritual freedom in our lives. Let's talk about whether you're Christian. Uh, I mean, that's, that's my belief i haven't really talked to people outside of the christian world if you would but i believe that people have a right to worship how they see fit so if somebody's finding that they have spiritual freedom no matter what faith they call it then that's a good conversation for uh, what i have because i want them to be unconquerable in that realm i'll talk to financial advisors and i'll talk to people who uh, are experts in the insurance world or in uh, you know debt management or um investing. Give people some basic uh, power to free themselves uh, in the financial world. Everyone is uh, in a system, right? We can talk about Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies and getting out of the system. We can talk about basic things like getting out of debt or how do you plan for your future so you're not, you're not enslaved by your debt. I like to talk to business owners and teach people how to uh, control the source of their income rather than being an employee somewhere. Because when you're an employee for somebody, you don't really have time freedom. You have to go to work when they say you have to go to work. You have to ask for time off. When you're an entrepreneur or uh, you're self-employed, you own a business, then you dictate your time as that sees fit. So that's another topic of of freedom. Of course, political freedom. I I am a libertarian, an anarchist by persuasion. And I like to discuss about how the Democrats you know, want to steal your money for these things and how the Republicans want to steal your money for those things. So let's get out of those systems. So that's really the thought behind the Invictus Mind is I want to help people empower themselves uh, by either becoming self-reliant to their own uh, business uh, or becoming self-employed, how to avoid getting entangled with the state as far as religion goes, and how to, uh, how to just... Be free and independent because when people's thumbs are on your head and telling you where to go, when you have to work or what you have to do, that's when you really have freedom.
1: That's great. That's great. I, I do enjoy the the uh, variety that you have on your show. I've, I've toyed with the idea of maybe branching out a little bit with ours, but I think it would take away from what we're trying to get accomplished with this project. And we do things, you know, that might be off topic, on, but that's okay. I mean, it gives us a little bit of variety, but it always comes back to what, what our main focus is. And I mean, where can we find your uh, find your stuff at?
0: Well, I'm on all the different podcasts. Uh, I guess they call them podcatchers, right? Uh, so you can find me on Apple, on Stitcher, on Spotify. Uh, I've got my hosting through Anchor FM. So there's like seven other places there. I put out a show every week. Uh, you find me on YouTube as well. I have a website called the Invictus Mind, but I, I uh, got to be honest, Craig, I need somebody. I need to hire somebody who's good with building a website because uh, it's lacking in many places. Eventually, I want to start having some uh, affiliate links there and things of that nature. But you can find me on social media. I'm on all of them uh, that exist out there and, and all the podcast players.
1: Awesome, man. I appreciate your time and coming on to speak with us. This was a cool conversation. And thank you for contributing to our blog. It's it's growing slowly but surely we're getting uh listeners in to contribute we've got some in the in the pipeline that we haven't released yet and it takes a little while to get them out there because there's we get quite a few requests and so we get them out there we can i know it took a little bit to get yours out there but we got it out there and here you are
0: all right well i appreciate it thank you
1: yeah man have a good day